Welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Hey, everyone. This is Chris, and welcome back to the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. You know, I'm really excited today to be able to bring you a father of two, Steve Disselhorst is with us. He's an author, but also a father. And he wrote a book recently called Determined to be Dad. And we're going to delve a little bit into that and talk about this journey that he was on to become a father himself. It's a powerful story and definitely one that I think everyone will really relate to and be able to connect with. Steve, thanks so much for being here today. Chris, thanks for having me. It's a, it's an honor. And a pleasure to talk about fatherhood. It's the thing that brings me the greatest joy and brings me the greatest learning, I would say, <laughs> every single day. So just when you think you got it, you're like, uh-oh, there's a stretch. <laughs> That's definitely the case. I, I feel that, I think, every day. My kids are in their tween and teen years. And it, it even I know your kids are younger, but yeah. it, it, it doesn't end. And I've talked to people that have adult kids and it still doesn't end that you're constantly learning. And I think that's one thing with fatherhood is that nobody goes into fatherhood knowing exactly what the heck they're doing. So it's a journey, not only for your kids to be on, but it's definitely a journey for you to be on as you go through this whole process of becoming dad. So one of the things that I love to do, and when I start off and talking to people is to turn the clock back in time. And I know this was a longer journey for you, but this journey that you were on to become a father, there was a point in time where you found out that you were going to be a dad. Yeah. And I want you to tell me about the reaction that you had when you first found out that you were going to be able to adopt your first child. So it's a great question. So in our journey to become parents, we started in 2010 And we were contacted by 14 women over two years. And then finally, our daughter's birth family at the end of those two years. So I actually, throughout that whole process, it was so elusive that I didn't really think that it was actually going to happen. So I think that when I realized I was going to be a dad was actually the day that she was born. Because we met her birth family Friday. And she was born the following Tuesday. And we weren't clear that they were going to follow through with the adoption. And it was really probably, it was probably about 24 hours before she was born that it became clear because we had had multiple phone conversations. We met them. They live in LA. We went back to San Francisco. We thought she was due a month later. They said she was due in about three or four weeks. And then she came the three days later. And It was really, we got to the hospital and it was the day before she was born that we spent a lot of time with them and they were starting to hand over decisions to us. You know, like, how do you want to spend the first few hours after her birth? Naming her, all of these things. So that started, so then it became real. It was like, wow, this is really, really going to happen. And I mean, I felt elation, pure joy. I felt like nothing I'd ever felt before in my life, right? It was just so powerful and scary at the same time, terrifying, right? With the adoption of potentially adoptions, there's a a waiting period, right? So it's a very scary 
sort of like a, a time where you're attaching to a child and they're attaching to you and yet there's indecision. So 24 hours up to when she was born, we were in the the birthing suite with the birth mother and father and had a lot of really amazing conversations about their lives and what they had hoped and dreamed for their daughter. And then she was born around 10, 17 on a Tuesday evening and we held her and she spent time with her birth mother, but then came and slept with us the first night. And we have quickly adapted and it was just, it was just profound and very primal and very basic and very intense and joyful. Very, very joyful. So now your, your daughter is eight, you said, and you you told me that your son is five. And as they've gotten older, what would you say has been the most memorable experience that you've had with your children thus far? Yeah, I think the most memorable experience is really around the intimacy. Like that'll be the thing that I'll forever cherish. And that happens day in and day out. And it's really these moments of vulnerability where they are feeling scared, hopeful, interested, and they're really leaning on you to help reinforce and help to expand upon that. And I think those are the moments where I feel like, wow. It's an incredible gift, right? Um, to be able to witness joy and pain, right? When a child is in joy and in pain, growth and development. And so I those memories this past weekend, we were we were in LA for like a mini vacation and there were some moments when my son was just struggling a little bit. You know, five, there's still those moments, right? <laughs> Where they still can't quite articulate what's going on. And and it was just being in being next to him and then and then being able to physically, you know, kind of calm him with hugs and, you know, physical touch and seeing that, I would say those memories will will bring me great joy until my last day, right? Now this is the Dads with Daughters podcast. So I, yeah. I have to ask a couple of questions about raising a daughter today. Yeah. What would you say is your biggest fear in raising a daughter in today's society? I would say my biggest fear is consent. And when I say that, I grew up seeing boys act poorly in relationship to girls. And the idea that boys can be more physically powerful than girls, and the idea that someone could do something to hurt her physically and also like sexually that really keeps me awake and really scares me and makes me think about how do I need to raise her in a very strong way that she's meeting her needs and she's asking for what she's want and she's protecting herself. Are there things that you've already done to try to start having those type of conversations or trying to do things to prepare her in that way? Yeah, so we've taken some, you know, we've taken some classes. We took a, a workshop. It's called Kid Power. I don't know if you're familiar with it at all, but they teach kids starting, I think, about five years old, they start to teach kids about how to protect themselves. And we had incredible learnings with that, did role plays with, you know, the educators around like, you're on the playground and a kid grabs your bag or, you know, like, how do you get a kid to stop bothering you, um, whether it's verbally and or physically, and just how you like you really need to stand up for yourself and be able to do that in a way that you're not hurting someone, not but also being very loud, saying, you know, stop, stop 
touching me and just being very loud and making noise in order to get other people's attention doing things around you hear this a lot with like predators they give nicknames to body parts and that um it's a way to sort of keep the language hidden from adults so like we say body parts in our house we say vagina we say penis we don't give nicknames specifically so that she'll say someone touch my vagina like very explicitly these are the ways that you don't have abuse right like teaching kids their body and teaching kids they need to be vocal. Um, and I think f- with her, I think the biggest thing is really stepping in and teaching her to have a voice. Um, and you see this a lot going on with like girls who code and trying to get girls mo- uh, more into math and science. And it's really about boys are always the first to raise their hand, even when they know nothing and jump in. And they'll be like, I'll go, I'll try it. Girls are much more like they want to make sure they can get it right, right? And then they'll step in. So it's really about saying to her, you can make mistakes. If you want to do it, it doesn't matter whether you're doing it well or not. It's about what you want, right? So stepping in and really being able to say, I want to try something. So it's about having a voice, teaching her that she's got self-esteem, self-worth, self-value, and that she has a voice. You know, that's so important. Now, what is the favorite thing that you like to do just between you and your daughter. Wow, there's so many favorite things. So, you know, now with COVID, there's no, like, there's very little alone time anymore, right? I think my favorite thing with her was, is, was really picking her up from school early, coming home and spending time reading together alone because she's learning how to read. And just having that space where we could just be together, we sit on the couch next to each other, I would read a page, she would read a page, or I would read half the book and she would read half the book. I think that to me is like one of the most precious times is really that reading time. She also, she likes um, gardening and she likes being outdoors and I really like gardening as well. So um, with COVID, we've done some planting vegetable planting and we've had the chance to watch the vegetables grow and water it and like it's a way for her to learn how to care for things and like see the results so there's like a accomplishment aspect um i think that's been really fun she knows how much i love plants and being outside and watching things grow and so it's just a thing that we connect them which i really like well, Steve, now I want to talk a little bit about reading because I want to talk about the book that you wrote. And oh, thank uh, you. The, yeah, the book that that Steve wrote is called Determined to be Dad, A Journey of Faith, Resilience, and Love. And to give a little context for you, Steve grew up in the Chicagoland area. And I know that you have said in your book that you grew up thinking that you were straight, thinking that you'd marry a woman, you'd have kids, that that all of these these things that are kind of the i guess the the norm right in society yeah. and then you start to realize who you are yeah. so talk to me about this journey this journey of not only becoming a father but the the journey to write this book and tell your story what was it about the journey that you went on that made you decide that you wanted to tell this story of love of determination to become a dad. So my story, so thanks for recapping it, is just I really thought I was heterosexual. I grew up in a very heterosexual environment. 
And I knew from a very early age, I wanted to be a parent. I, it was like, it was predetermined, like the, you know, like the color of my eyes, it was always something I wanted. And so there was no images of, you know, anyone but heterosexual people having children. So I just thought I was, I always thought I was heterosexual. And then all of a sudden I was like, uh Oh, like, you know, like I was dating women and that wasn't going so well. And then I realized that I was attracted to men. And once I came to terms with that, I, it was the early nineties and it was, it was a scary time to be coming out in the, in the midst of the um, AIDS epidemic. And at that time I was like, you know, I need to be true to myself. And so I kind of put the dream about being a dad on, on hold. And really I kind of mourned the loss of that for a period of time. I thought, you know, as a gay man at that time, I wouldn't be able to have a child. And then things started to change. We started to see uh, LGBTQ people starting to have families. And so I started to get motivated again to do it. And then I met my partner and we similarly had goals of being a family. And so that was really the journey that we started on. And then the reason I wrote the book is because I realized that there are a lot of people that heterosexual people as well as LGBTQ people that have to go through a lot to create their families. So there's a lot of um, folks, especially here in California, that wait to have ch children until later in life and they do their careers and then they decide, um, you know, we want, I want to have kids. And a lot of people struggle with infertility, and there is really a lot that goes into creating a family through non-traditional ways. And so I wrote the book with the intent of helping people on sort of the emotional, psychological journey of what it's like to go through the process. And specific to me, it's, a, it's about adoption, but it would likewise be similar challenges. I've heard from many people that go through surrogacy that there are similar challenges. There isn't sort of a linear path that folks have to follow. And so I thought that it was very important that I share the ups and downs that we went through to create our family. And really it was in order to give hope to others that have faced similar challenges, whether it's they're, you know, gay like me and they think that, you know, they can't have a family on their own and they have to go through ultimate, or if they're heterosexual and they're facing infertility issues. I wanted to give folks hope that if you have a dream, there's a child out there, whether it's your own genetically through artificial insemination or through adoption, that if you want to be a parent, you can make it happen. It is such an important thing for that to be shared, because I think that for anyone that is going, that has never gone through that, they don't understand. So, you know, for someone that has children in, I'm going to say the regular way, right? You know, yeah. you're married to a woman and you decide to have a family together, not through adoption, not through surrogacy. They, it's foreign to them. I want to talk a little bit about that foreignness because I want people to understand so that if they've never gone through this, what are some of the biggest roadblocks or challenges that, because from what you said, I hear a couple of things. One, you had the challenge and roadblock of being being gay. Yep. And and not being in a heterosexual relationship. But you also are trying to adopt and there's roadblocks yep. there, right? Um, or you're looking for a surrogate and there's roadblocks there just in general. Yep. I mean, so yep. you have kind of double roadblocks. Yep. But so talk to me about those roadblocks and how as a 
a, a person that was determined to get through this, how you had to maneuver yourself to be able to to get around those roadblocks to be able to make it happen? Great question. So there is a lot of roadblocks. So so I would say, first of all, that depending on where you live in the, in the United States, there are many places that LGBTQ people are actually discriminated against in adopting children. And we also know that outside the United States, there's a, a lot of countries where homosexuality is illegal. It's impossible for people to adopt. One of the most rewarding things about writing the book was that within a week, a man from Saudi Arabia reached out to me and said, I cannot buy your book. But the fact is, I'm a gay man and I want to be a dad someday. It's giving me hope that there are people like you doing this in the world. So there's a lot of roadblocks. So what we faced was being in California, we, when we decided we wanted to adopt, we had to find an agency that was LGBTQ friendly. When we started to think about adoption, we had to determine whether we we're going to do a domestic or foreign adoption. Well, we quickly learned that LGBTQ people are not allowed to adopt um, in most countries around the world. There's only two countries that allow uh, openly gay people to adopt. Um, I think one is Brazil and maybe the other is Colombia or Peru. So there's just that option was eliminated immediately, right? Like we couldn't adopt from Asia or Europe or Russia or any, it's just not an option. So that was one decision point. Then there was finding an agency in the Bay Area that was LGBTQ friendly. And we were able to do that pretty quickly. Um, and we found a great agency. And then there's the next roadblock of, you know, finding for our first adoption it was a private open adoption. So then it was around is open to LGBTQ people, right? So that was another sort of, um, you don't really know roadblock, but we, um, we overcame all of those. And you know, then once you're going to be a parent, like our daughter was born in a Catholic hospital, we were like, oh my God, are they going to even let us, you know, are they going to even let us in? Like, what are they going to do? Um, and so we faced that uh, challenge as well. Um, and if, and they did in, in California, they're not allowed to discriminate at the hospital level, but there are other states where they, they would potentially do that. Um, so, you, you know, we just kept... You know, at every juncture point, there's sort of like, you, you have to just start asking questions like, you know, what's your level of commitment to communities of difference and just kind of continuing to go down that road. And, and then you have a decision where you're going to go. Um, and so that's kind of how we went through it. And um, that's where we ended up uh, with, you know, our, 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 our kids. So we're very lucky. When you talk about open adoption, talk to me about the difference between open and closed adoption. Again, just for making sure that everyone understands the difference between these two. Yeah. So an open adoption is where the birth family and the birth children know each other. So I'm the adoptive parents. We adopt the child and we make a commitment to the child and the birth family to make sure that they have a relationship. We make sure that we communicate openly about their ability to have a relationship. Now, whether or not, you know, depending on your age of your child and your birth family, and if they're open to it, like some oftentimes birth families in the beginning will say, yes, we want to have an open adoption. We want to know. But then as the child grows older, there's times where they they don't want to be as connected. A closed adoption is when the records are closed, right? 
So a child is placed for adoption, the adoptive parents adopt that child and don't actually know who the birth family is. And obviously the child wouldn't know as well. So they grow up asking questions about who is my parents, right? Depending on the the, the, the adoptive parents, like whether they're open or not and say, well, actually you're adopted. I think there was a period of time back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, where almost all adoptions were closed. The thinking at the time was that it was better for the child that they not know. And so there was mostly closed adoptions and children would grow up thinking that the parent they lived with was their biological parent. And as they changed you know, physically and they started to see there wasn't a resemblance, they would start to ask questions and then they would be like, hmm, why don't I look like you or why? And so those things come out and uh, the, the research has shown that it's very important for children to understand they're adopted um, from an early age, from a self-esteem trust issue. Um, it's really important that you share that. Obviously, you share information depending on the age-appropriate language, but it's really a trust issue that is super important. When a child hits their 12 or 13, and if they're just finding out about their adoption, it can create really um, a major rupture in the family that in some cases cannot be repaired because there's a basic trust issue. So so those are the differences really around open and closed adoptions. The case of our daughter, we have an open adoption. She knows her birth family. We visit with them once a year. Every quarter, we send them a letter with pictures and updates. We, they they didn't want to be on online, so we don't do any of the online stuff. We actually print out physical pictures. We send them to a mailing address, and we send a letter. Birthdays and Mother's Days and all those things, we, we participate in those. And she knows who her birth family is. And my, the case of my son, his adoption was through – It's I wouldn't – it is open. We know his birth family, but we don't have – we don't see them. We don't have availability to them. We try to get – access to them so that he could know who they are, but they are not responsive to that. But he knows he's adopted as well. Thanks for that clarification. I really appreciate it because like I said, not everybody is going to understand yeah. that. And I and I want to make sure that we're clear about what, what that means. Now, you talked a little bit about some of the response that you've gotten so far from your book, but for people that have never read your book, what do you hope that they will take from reading your book? I spoke with someone on Friday who read it. It's a straight woman that you know gave birth to her own children. And, and what she said to me was, your book speaks to the, the common bonds that we have in humanity. Whether, you know, she said we're in such a polarized environment, you know, politically and people are, so she said, but your book really has got a unifying message around how we have more in common than we have differences. And while, yes, you're a gay man and went through extraordinary measures to create your family, that your experience of love, family, parenting is very similar to my experience. And she felt very connected to the stories. And so I think that my book, I think people will be able to identify with different aspects of it, see themselves in it. And then also see that there's, you know, the opportunity to be, have expansive love, right? Like that we bring life into the world, we bring life into our families, and that our love can grow and move forward. And, and we see this with our children, right? Um, and so I think that's a, a common theme. And um, while it's written from a gay man about creating a, sort of an LGBTQ family, 
my story is in some ways very similar to the story of a lot of people that have created families. We have come to the point in our interview where we like to finish our interviews with what we call our fatherhood five, where we ask you five questions that delve deeper into you as a father. So first and foremost, in one word, what is fatherhood? Love. When was the time that you felt like you finally succeeded at being a father? Uh, changed the first diaper, did it really well. And, you know, having being the youngest, not having a lot of practice changing diapers, I was like, okay, I can figure this out pretty quick. And you know what? I can probably figure out a lot of things. And yeah. How would your kids describe you as a dad? They would describe me as loving, emotionally available, compassionate, strict, involved, affectionate, caring. And I would think those would be them. Who inspires you to be a better dad? Oh, that's a good question. Who inspires me to be a better dad? Hmm. I would say my father. Well, my father wasn't necessarily, you know, it was, you know, I was born in the late 60s, wasn't necessarily as present as I would like him as a dad. He taught me a lot about commitment, about responsibility, about um, being an honorable person, about values. And he lived true to that. And I didn't appreciate that about him until he actually passed. Um, and it was the day of his wake where there was a, about a two-hour wait of people waiting to get in to see him. Customers, mostly from his, his insurance sales business that were people he interacted with who came in and who didn't know me, but just talked about how he treated them. And that had a hugely profound impact on me thinking about how I want to leave this world and how I want to show up in the world every day. And finally, what advice would you give to other dads? I would give the advice that while we think we have the answers, we need to adjust our thinking to adjust to our children because our children's wants and needs can be very different. And I would say this as, a, as an adoptive dad, you, you have to be very adaptive. But I would say for you know, people that have biological children, while they may have your genetics, they could be completely different than you. And you should adjust your ways of thinking in order to accommodate, you know, depending on their learning style and or, you know, their personality or whatever aspect of it is, is try not to impose so much your own onto them, but instead try to accommodate and allow them to grow into their true selves. Well, Steve, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for telling us about your journey. And if people want to find out more about you, find out more about the book, where should they go? Yeah. So Determined to be Dad, um, you can uh, Google that, determinedtobedad.com, and that'll direct you to my website. Or you can just go on Amazon and do a book search for Determined to be Dad, and it'll pop up. It's available in hardcover paperback as well as um, ebook. And yeah, I would just encourage everyone to pick up a copy and I'd love your feedback. Love to thinking about a next round of writing and um, I'd love to get feedback on what I've written so far. And yeah, so yeah, thank you so much. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. 
The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be